Hi guys, Cooper here from the Unquote Podcast. Unquote delves into what makes movie quotes so, well, quotable. See, I have a guest each week watch a movie selected from the American Film Institute's Top 100 Movie Quotes list. And then we sit down and ponder cultural impingement and cinematic preponderance and... Okay, you got me. My thesaurus was totally open. A little factual and a lot of fun, it's the least contentious peanut gallery in history. Unquote is part of the Rogue Intel Network, and you can find me on iTunes, Facebook, and Twitter. Powerful Nerdcast. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. I am your host that can boast the most roast, Corey. And as you can tell, I am completely solo today. My typical co-host, Christian, is currently out of town. So I'm going to be going solo this week. That being said, this is going to be a pretty exciting episode of the powerful Nerdcast. We have a lot of really awesome topics to talk about. There's a brand new Japanese Godzilla movie. A lot of classic anime series are getting ready to be turned into live action films. And Team Star Fox is returning to Nintendo Systems this week. And they have a brand new anime short to go along with that. So without further ado, let's just go ahead and jump into the show right now. So... You guys probably know that I'm a pretty big fan of Godzilla movies. I was really pumped up when they made the big announcement in 2014 that they were going to make another American-made Godzilla movie, and it ended up blowing my expectations away. And despite the fact that Godzilla is only in the movie for maybe roughly 10 minutes, it was still a pretty satisfying experience and one of the best Godzilla movies that I have seen in years. Flash forward two years later, and Japan is getting ready to release the 31st Godzilla film, and it's going to be called Godzilla Resurgence. Now, before this movie was even announced, everyone was waiting with bated breath for the moment that Toho Studios was finally going to come back and start making Godzilla movies. And I was really interested to see how they were going to pull this off, especially with all of the big influence we've seen in a lot of big blockbusters, giant monster movies. I was really curious to see if they were going to go with the CG route, or if they were going to go with a guy in a big rubber suit. And it looks like they're sort of meeting halfway in the middle. This is very much going to be a traditional Godzilla movie in just about every single sense. We got a guy in a rubber suit, we got miniature cities, and lots of shit getting destroyed. But it's It's being done with some really great production value, and it also looks like they are going to be incorporating some CG into the picture. So, to my knowledge, this movie, Godzilla Resurgence, is essentially going to be a straight reboot of the entire Godzilla series. Now, I'm not too shocked by this. This is not the first time that it's been done. In fact, in the original Japanese Godzilla films, they reboot the series a number of times, with Godzilla occasionally having a completely different origin, but almost always tied to nuclear affairs. And I have a feeling that this one is going to be a little different, and it's going to draw a lot of its imagery and a lot of the destruction from the earthquakes and the tsunamis which have been going on in Japan, and combining that with some of the classic origins of Godzilla. And you can definitely tell that by looking at the brand new version of this character, who in this trailer looks 
absolutely terrifying. One of the scariest looking Godzillas that I have ever seen. It's also worth noting that this is going to be the biggest Godzilla in terms of like his actual height. Again, this is something that in the Godzilla film series has changed multiple times. Hell, the original Godzilla, the one from 1954 that originally destroyed Tokyo. I love that I'm saying this like this was an event that actually went down. He is actually not as big as like even half of the other Godzillas which came out over the course of like his giant film career. And it looks like this one is going to be upping the ante and in many ways even making our American counterpart Godzilla from 2014 look like a puny little punk. That's right, because at one point, at least in 2014 and beyond, we had the biggest Godzilla. We created the biggest one. It was like, yeah, America, everything's bigger here. But no, Japan is like, screw that. We created this monster, and we're going to make him even more terrifying than ever. And what I think I'm most excited about with this movie is that it's being directed by Hideaki Anno. Now, that name might not exactly be a household name to you, but for fans of classic anime series, it will mean something. He is one of the creators of the classic mecha series, Neon Genesis Evangelion. And Evangelion is, without a doubt, one of the most influential anime series of all time. It's also one of those anime series that when I saw for the very first time, I didn't really appreciate it for what it was. I sort of went into the show expecting it to be just big robots fighting against giant monsters, but it's so much more than that with their characters who are just incredibly deeply disturbed. And it looks like that Hideaki Anno is going to be taking some of those concepts and applying them to this brand new Godzilla movie, which from the first trailer alone seems like it's going to be incredibly somber. The first trailer has, like, no dialogue either. In fact, it opens up with Godzilla just roaring into the sky, looking absolutely terrifying. And I love that first initial shot of Godzilla's face. I can't tell if it is just, like, the suit that they created, if it's some sort of animatronic. Maybe it's an animatronic head that's mixed with some CG effects. All I know is, it looks freaking awesome. And throughout the rest of the trailer, you just have a lot of silent scenes, of people talking, the military preparing for destruction, and Godzilla doing what Godzilla does best, which is absolutely just destroying everything simply by walking. And one of the most noticeable things about this version of Godzilla is going to be his appearance. When you see him, like, there's no confusion. You're like, oh, that's freaking Godzilla right there. It's, it's, it's a giant dinosaur, giant dorsal fin plates on his back. He's got the big, long tail, creepy face and everything. But there are some big differences with this character. First and foremost, not only is he much larger and grand in scale, but his actual colors are a lot different. Traditionally, a lot of people have always believed Godzilla to be like just a big green monster. He's actually always had kind of like a dark gray, almost black color scheme in just about every single movie. I mean, don't get me wrong, there have been some shades of green applied to the character, but traditionally, Godzilla is just a big gray lizard. Now, he is pitch black with these little accents of red, which are sort of like veined all over his body. It's slightly reminiscent of the Godzilla from Godzilla vs. Destroya, except this time this Godzilla isn't having a nuclear meltdown. This is just the actual color of this creature. And another big thing you're going to notice is that he's got a really long neck. This is a super tall, almost lanky looking Godzilla, but that adds this sort of like 
ghostly, otherworldly look to the creature. Like, this is something that should not exist. This is not a living creature that originated from our world. This is something that was created through mad science and should have no reason for existing. And that makes him all the more horrifying. And that combined with his brand new face, which just looks so freaking creepy with these really sharp teeth, just looks great. Now, I do have one problem with the design, and it is a minor one, but it kind of makes sense when you see the evolution of the character. He has got these super tiny little arms. Like, we're talking like T-Rex arms. Like, they almost look like they're going to be completely useless in battle. And the only times I ever really see them moving is when, like, the fingers are moving. Like, this doesn't look like the type of Godzilla who's going to be able to, like, grapple with people or do, like, big crazy style, like, wrestling moves or anything like that. And to me, that's kind of a problem because one of the coolest things about Godzilla to me is that, you know, he basically is just a giant T-Rex that can breathe fire, but what made him unique was his overall body structure. The fact that he was kind of like a bear, where he could use his arms in a number of different ways, and actually that was one of the more, like, disturbing things about him. Like, he's a giant dinosaur monster that can deliver a punch. And I've always thought that, that was something that was really cool. Hell, even in the American 2014 version, that Godzilla had very large arms which he could use to grapple with all of the monsters and everything and tear them up, as well as using some more of his animalistic abilities like his teeth and his tail. And speaking of tail, holy crap, that is probably the coolest thing about this Godzilla. There are two shots in this trailer that I absolutely love and I cannot get enough of. The first one is, as soon as you see Godzilla roaring, there's this next shot of his tail, which is just like going over this giant city, and you can just see the absolute massive size of it, and it's a really well done shot. Again, it looks like they might have done like a combination of animatronics with CG effects, but it does a great job of displaying the scale of this creature. And then there's another shot later on where you just see this big shot that's like far away of Godzilla in the city at night and it's just him standing there but the way his tail is moving and waving around in the sky just makes him seem so much more massive and his tail is absolutely gigantic it is going to destroy so many things inadvertently a lot and it looks like it's just going to have more life to it as opposed to just simply dragging on the ground it's almost like a cat's tail in many ways that combined with his brand new ferocious look makes it seem like it's going to be one of the more scary godzilla movies that has ever been released and i know that's a weird word to associate with godzilla i mean there was a time i do believe probably more so in the old days, maybe the 1950s and 60s, where Godzilla was seen as a movie monster in the most general of senses. He was a monster that was meant to be scary, to invoke fear. The original Godzilla was basically a big metaphor for nuclear holocaust, and he was not something that you were supposed to be happy about. You were not supposed to say, oh, it's Godzilla, my friend who's going to save me. No, that title is reserved for Gamera. Who knows when they're going to revive Gamera? And that's what I love about this movie. They're bringing him back to his roots yet again, making him something that is something to be feared, something to be afraid of. That is until they reveal that there might be another monster in the movie. But since this is a straight reboot of Godzilla, I have a feeling that there isn't going to be another monster for Godzilla to actually fight against. Now, the uh, trump to that, of course, is that in the 2014 American one, it, of course, was a reboot of Godzilla as well. But he did fight monsters in that movie. Nothing too classic, like, I, I, I don't even remember the names of the monsters from the 2014 Godzilla movie. Um, I just remember that they were like these big bug-type monsters. Ugh, I really wish I could remember the names of these things. Uh, I, I guess I'm not as hardcore of a Godzilla fan as I thought, um, but 
I wanted something a little more traditional, like, you know, Mothra, Anguirus, King frickin' Ghidorah, Desestroya, anyone! Like, they could incorporate just about any classic Godzilla movie or a classic Godzilla villain, and it would be freaking awesome. And they are planning on doing stuff like that with the American movie. There's supposed to be a big crossover with King Kong and Godzilla, which, damn, it needs to happen. There, there's nothing better than seeing big crossovers of characters fighting against each other. It's always really fun. Hopefully it won't suck like Batman versus Superman did, but we're just going to have to wait and see. What I will say is, I'm really excited for this movie. I love the overall tone of it, and despite the fact that it is a Japanese film, I have a feeling that now that Godzilla is sort of like back in the eye of pop culture, that we might actually see this movie get a release here uh, stateside, which I think would be really great, if only for the prospect of being able to see another Japanese Godzilla movie in theaters. I've only seen one Japanese Godzilla movie in a theater before, and that was in, I believe, 1999 when they released Godzilla 2000, which I remember when that movie came out. It was so funny because a lot of people were confused. A lot of people were like, oh, is this the sequel to the American Godzilla, despite the fact that it's clearly a guy in a suit again and it's a Japanese production? No, no. They were just sort of using the popularity of Godzilla at the time as a springboard to release this movie, and I really wish they had the opportunity to do that for a lot of the other ones that came out in 2000, but it just wasn't the case. And I even remember, like, how much they tried to Americanize the movie in some of the, like, funniest ways possible. Um, me and my friend were, like, watching TV one day, and we saw a commercial for the Godzilla 2000 movie, and the music that they chose for the trailer was hilarious. I believe it was Rob Zombie. Um, I think it was the uh, the song, Hell yeah, I'm the one that you wanted, I'm a killer beast. Like, it, it, it clashed so much with the movie, but it also sort of worked at the same time, and that got our butts into theaters. We actually went and saw Godzilla 2000, and I'll be damned if we weren't laughing a lot, but we were also having a lot of fun. Like, there were a lot of scenes in that movie that were just really cool to see on a big screen. Especially because Godzilla himself is a big freaking monster. It's a spectacle that you want to see when you're watching a giant screen with a bunch of Godzilla fans. Everybody's just going to have a lot of good time when they watch those movies. All I know is Godzilla is back in the most purest form possible. Uh, they're bringing back a lot of the people who've worked on the previous Godzilla movies. There's going to be a lot of new people. The fact that uh, Anno, the creator of freaking Evangelion, is working on the series is great. There's been a lot of artwork from the staff of the movie who've been sort of like poking fun at the fact that this could be like a Evangelion versus Godzilla movie. Uh, on April 1st, they released this amazing bit of artwork of Godzilla actually fighting against Unit 01, which is the uh, the main like mech from Evangelion. And uh, it looked so cool. And just seeing that image made me kind of want to see that movie. I really do think that, that would be something really entertaining and really cool to see. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's amazing that this character has managed to endure for so long because it's such a relic of the past. I mean, when you really, like, look at the history of movie monsters and everything, like, there aren't too many from the old days which have managed to still, like, remain relevant and still have new movies made about them. Like, the only ones that I can even really think of at this point are maybe, like, Dracula, and that's, like, about it. And there have been multiple interpretations of that character, but, like... Godzilla endures. He's always changing. He's always, like, a part of the times. And he's not just a big, stupid movie monster. Most of the time, he's a metaphor 
for things that are going on in the actual world. And considering that we've had earthquakes recently in Japan, this is a movie that is going to hit at home for them. And it's going to be a very emotional movie experience, as well as a very exciting, action-packed one, watching the military fight against Godzilla. And Godzilla's just a cool character in general. He's sort of like a villain, but he can also be a hero at the same time, inadvertently. And that's what makes him a surprisingly complex movie monster, despite the fact that he's got zero dialogue and he just likes to destroy shit. All I know is I'm excited for this Godzilla resurgence. Um, the trailer really surprised me. I'm surprised that it came out so bluntly and so quickly. So uh, you guys should definitely check out the trailer if you haven't. Although, let's face it, it's been out for about a week now. If you're even a casual Godzilla fan, you've probably at least watched it once. Um, but uh, this is definitely something to look out for. I really cannot wait to see what the final product is going to be like. And I'm very excited for this one. Um, after seeing this, I can't wait to see what they're going to do with the American version, like uh, how much they're going to up the ante in terms of Godzilla fighting other monsters, bringing in some classic ones, and how they're going to eventually do this whole King Kong versus Godzilla thing. But uh, it's, it's really awesome. So speaking of classic Japanese series coming to uh, the big screen, we also have a movie that's been in like development hell for years. It is Ghost in the Shell. And Ghost in the Shell is a series that, like, honestly, I don't have that much history with. I mean, I've seen the original movie that was released in the mid-90s, which, when I did see it, this is one of those things, like, if you were growing up as a kid in the 90s, you understand, like, having access to anime wasn't exactly, like, the easiest thing in the world. It was basically, like, what you could find on TV, which is mostly stuff devoted to kids, which is basically a lot of Pokemon-type stuff, and then you would have to go to your local video store and rent things, and every single selection at the video store, which 90% of the time we went to Blockbuster, uh, you guys remember Blockbuster, right? That place was awesome. Uh, they all they had these anime sections with all this stuff that was just way too advanced and way too violent for kids to watch. Uh, this was like the first time that I saw Akira and uh, Ghost in the Shell and a few other questionable series that uh, maybe I'll save for a whole nother podcast. But Ghost in the Shell was one of those like just big phenomena type series. Like this was an anime that like I would even see commercials for on TV. I'll buy it was niche channels that they appeared on. Like I remember seeing a commercial for order your VHS copy of Ghost in the Shell today. I believe it was on the Sci-Fi channel back when they actually spelt it like Sci-Fi, not Sci-Fi. God, I hate the way that they changed that. But again, another topic for another podcast. And Ghost in the Shell has endured by being based on a manga series, having multiple movies and multiple anime series, one of the most popular one being Standalone Complex and its uh, second sequel series, Second Gig. There's been another rebooted version of that, and it was really only a matter of time before there was going to be a Ghost in the Shell live-action movie. And it makes sense, because this is the type of story that could really apply to live-action. Basically, it's about this group which is known as Section 9, which use these, like, secret cyborg characters, one of them being known as the major, the main character, Motoko Kusanagi. And she's one of the coolest main female leads I've seen from just about any anime series. She's just so kick-ass, a really interesting character, and she's sexy as all hell. One of the biggest sex symbols in uh, just about any anime that you could possibly see. But she's a really strong character, and uh, she's existed for a really long time. And one of the biggest controversies about this big new Ghost in the Shell movie is, one, it is American-made. So first, we gotta realize that there are going to be some big 
recasts in this movie. And one of the biggest controversies in Hollywood right now is whitewashing, where basically they'll take a character who is a certain ethnicity and cast them with a white actor. And they are indeed actually doing that with the Ghost in the Shell movie. And Motoko Kusanagi is going to be played by Scarlett Johansson, uh, of the Avengers fame. And this is actually a, a cast choice that I'm actually okay with because I think she really can pull off a character like that. Like, she has the skills to be, like, you know, acrobatic just like her, but she also has, like, the same type of personality. Like, when you look at a lot of her characters that she's played in the past, like Black Widow and Lucy and stuff, so, like, they can really apply that directly uh, to the major in the Ghost in the Shell movies. And they even released the very first image of this character. And when I saw it for the very first time, I almost did kind of like a double take. Because I was like, wow, there's the major. There she is. She even has the same exact haircut as her. Um, but still, people have a huge problem with the fact that this cyborg character, who originally was portrayed as a Japanese woman, is now being played by Scarlett Johansson. And it, it's an interesting concept, too, because she's not even really human. She's a cyborg, you know? They could have simply just made her look any single way. It is a little weird, the fact that her name is uh, Motoko Kusanagi, although I don't know if they're actually going to change her name in this movie at all, because from what I've seen from all the promotional material, they strictly just call her the Major. That's it. Like, they don't actually give her a name quite yet. So they might actually give her a completely different name, which I'm not sure that was the, the smart thing to do. Um, but still, uh, I'm actually okay with the casting choice. It is a little strange, however, uh, that you're going to have a character with a name like that who is indeed going to be a white actor. Now, would I recast it if I found someone more appropriate? Yeah, of course. But I, I really can't think of too many actresses who might be able to pull that off. The only one who seems to come to mind at the moment was the one female lead from Pacific Rim, which was the giant robot film, which was made by Guillermo del Toro, which was also really good, by the way. There was the uh, main female lead. I think her name was Rinko Kikuchi. I'm probably wrong on that, but uh, I feel like she really could have played that character well. I mean, hell, she was already like halfway there. I mean, she looked a lot like her in Pacific Rim, and uh, I really do think she has the acting chops to maybe even pull off something like that. Um, the thing with uh, Motoko Kusanagi, though, is she is kind of a strange character in that she has the ability to display emotion, but a lot of the times she can be kind of cold and kind of callous, and uh, I'm really interested to see how ScarJo is going to sort of like bring that character to life. But it is also worth mentioning that in the actual series, Ghost in the Shell, a lot of the main characters are very multicultural. A lot of them are not Japanese, and they come from a lot of different places. And the casting of the movie is very diverse, which I do think is a good thing. They are sort of honoring the source material in that sense. But no doubt, Scarlett Johansson is going to cause a little bit of controversy with this character. I think maybe more so with a Japanese audience than, say, maybe an American audience. But then again, what do I really know? I mean, the cultural differences between our two countries when it comes to, like, this type of stuff is uh, very different, you know? It's just, there's a different evolutionary process for how we sort of, like, look at that stuff from both of our cultures. And I think that is uh, pretty impressive. I mean, it's nothing, like, really insane here, you know? It's, it's not like they're going to take, like, you know, just... What I'm trying to say is, like, imagine a situation where they made a Superman movie, and they cast Superman as a Mexican. Like, it would be really weird, right? It would be really strange. Um, and I honestly don't think anything like that would happen. It really seems like, with a lot of these roles, 
they kind of have to pick and choose their battles. Like, would this character work? Would this somehow fit possibly? You know, with a character like Superman who's existed for freaking 80 plus years, you know, I mean, this guy has been freaking around. He's such a classic character who's so firmly established. And then you got Ghost in the Shell, which I think has been around since like the late 80s. I'm pretty sure that's how long it's been around. It doesn't have long as a history, but it's definitely what I'd like to consider like a gateway anime for a lot of fans in the West. It's one of those series that sort of paved the way for the popularity of anime series. You know, shows like uh, Dragon Ball Z, Pokemon, freaking uh, the movie Akira. Like they, they all made anime in the West. So it's uh, really crazy that they're finally taking this big series and they're going to be doing something with that like that. But this is one of those movies that I think can translate well to a live-action setting. And with anime, that's really, really difficult. And a lot of that has to do, of course, with aesthetics and character design, because there are just some characters in anime that just would not work in live-action. Like, take the One Piece series, for instance. The characters in that show all look so strange. Some of them have the most disproportionate body designs. And not even just minor things, like the fact that Nami's waist is like paper thin, or the fact that Luffy can stretch his bodies. No, there, there are characters whose like heads are larger than their entire body. There are giants in the series. There are people that you can hold in your hand. There are just things that would not look very convincing in live action. And in Ghost in the Shell... There are things in that that we have seen in other sci-fi movies that could easily pulled off. It's basically just humans, some robots, and some really cool futuristic-looking weapons. And we have seen movies in the past that could definitely pull this off. And with today's special effects, how crazy they're getting, there's a possibility this could end up being something really special. We're just going to have to wait and see how that's going to translate. Now, as far as other classic anime series and franchises, which... I don't think will translate well to live action. Let's talk about Pokemon because Pokemon is huge. It's such a big money maker. It was really only a matter of time until we got a live action Pokemon movie. I'm actually kind of shocked that we haven't heard anything like about this and it's been like, you know, 20 years since the inception of this ridiculously popular series. But uh, over the course of the last week, there've been a lot of really big studios which are bidding out for the rights to make this live-action Pokemon film. And, guys, I don't know if it's going to work. Um, I really feel that Pokemon could work as a movie. I mean, it's, I mean, not a live-action movie. I think it would work better as, say, an animated film. I mean, that's been proven in the past. The anime series has been going non-stop without, like, any break for nearly 20 years. I think that's exactly how long it's been going on. I think the exact same time as the actual uh, games as when they were released. And every single year, pretty much every year on the dot, uh, they're releasing a brand new animated film, which is tied to the games, as well as giving us some hints for some of the stuff in the future. As for what they could do for a live-action story, I really don't know. Like, would they actually try to adapt the main story of the games where you follow just a young lead who's traveling through this big mystical world with all of these crazy monsters that they battle for absolutely no reason other than the fact that it's really damn fun? I mean, they're going to have to do a really good job of establishing a real living Pokemon world, and then they have to make the big decision, 
which is, do they make the Pokemon CG creatures? Do they make them interact with real-life humans? Do they make them animatronics? Do they try to make them look more like their game counterparts? Or do they try to go for a more realistic aesthetic? Because if they try to make them look too realistic, they might not actually start resembling the classic ones from the games anymore. Like, can you imagine, like, how they would do a live-action Pikachu? Like, how they would make it truly look realistic? I think it would look really strange. Mostly just because the overall aesthetic of the creature. I mean, its tail alone is in the shape of a lightning bolt. That's going to look really strange when it's translated to live-action. And then you got some Pokemon who are just small and cute and adorable, and then you got these big monstrous ones like Gyarados, who's just like this giant serpentine water dragon. Like, are they going to try and make that look just like the game, or do they want to try and make it look a little more, you know, monstrous and monster-like? Because these things basically are monsters at the same at the end of the day, you know, Pokemon, Pocket Monster. Um, but a lot of companies right now are really trying to get their hands on this franchise, one of them being Legendary. Ironically, we were just talking uh, about the Godzilla franchise, and they were the ones who actually worked on the 2014 Godzilla movie, and they have close ties with a lot of producers and people in Japan, so it wouldn't make sense for a company like Legendary, who's so known for their monster films now, to actually make a live-action Pokemon movie. But what I'd want to see from that that that's the thing it's like what can i experience in movie form that i can't experience in the game maybe a more mature storyline maybe something um more just like about the origins of the pokemon world maybe just something completely random each time you know just give us some new characters in a brand new story that's set in the pokemon world put it in a brand new region that isn't in any of the games that we've seen before and use the film as a springboard for not only you know getting people to see more pokemon stuff but for promoting some more of the future pokemon games like can you imagine if there was a live-action Pokemon movie coming to American theaters, and you go into the theater, it's really good, you start to see all of your favorite Pokemon characters, and then suddenly, a brand new Pokemon shows up for the very first time in live-action form, which is a tease for something that's going to appear in a later game, like Sun or Moon, or whatever the next generations of the games are going to be called. That would be something that would blow people's minds. It would be a brand new way to sort of breathe some brand new life into the Pokemon franchise, and I think that would be pretty freaking awesome. As for how it would actually look, it's, it's, I just, I just don't know. You know, I'd have to see what they would do with some of these designs, and I mean, obviously there's so many Pokemon for them to work with, there'd be absolutely no way for them to include everyone, and I wouldn't expect them to do that either. I mean, there are over 700 Pokemon now. Sun and Moon is coming out this year, so there's going to be even more, quite possibly 800 or 900. We are almost at a thousand freaking Pokemon. Can you believe that? It's kind of ridiculous. It was so much easier back in the day when there were only 151 of those things. It was much easier to manage. It, you know, I could name every Pokemon back in like 1998, 1999. Now it's, it really is getting difficult to, uh, to remember a lot of these names. That's what I liked about X and Y, though. I liked that uh, they introduced a lot of new Pokemon, but not as many as they usually do. I think there was only like 70 or so that was introduced. And that's also because they had Mega Evolutions which were uh, coming into the game for the very first time. So, in a way, those are new Pokemon, but they're basically just upgraded versions of uh, ones that we've already seen before. So, I don't know what they're going to do with this. I don't know if this is just going to go into the development hell cycle, if they're just going to continue to try and figure out uh, what's going on, if this bidding war is just going to continue with Pokemon. 
All I know is, if there is a live-action Pokemon movie, what would you guys want to see from that? Like, would you want to see, like, a fully animated film? Would you want to see live-action characters interacting with CG monsters? What type of story would you guys like to see? Do you want to just see straight adaptations of the games or something just completely new and original? I think new and original is probably the best route to go. That way we can actually get something that we've never seen before, and it'd be even perfect because it'd be the first live-action Pokemon film, so... Who knows if that's going to happen? All I know is the fact that it is in the rumor mill right now and that it is a possibility, just, it's going to be crazy. You know, I'm reminded of when we got close to the 20th anniversary of Pokemon, they had this commercial that they did for the Super Bowl, which uh, was really awesome because uh, it sort of gave us, like, a glimpse of what, like, a real, like, world Pokemon game would look like or, like, a real Pokemon movie. Um, at the end of the trailer, there's this kid who's walking into this stadium, getting ready to have a Pokemon battle, and then these CG Pokemon come out, and they, they do completely clash with, like, all the live-action stuff and everything, but if you put yourself, like, in the right mindset, you can actually sort of enjoy that. It's the same concept as watching an old-school Godzilla movie. You know that's a guy in a suit. You know he's crushing a building, which is almost certainly a miniature. But if you just take it for what it is and use your imagination along with the film, which is clearly using its own imagination, you can end up having a really good time. I mean, it's Pokemon after all. It's not Shakespeare. This isn't going to be like a Coen Brothers production unless... Can you imagine the Coen Brothers Pokemon movie? Like how it would either end up being like really dark or really funny. I'd probably lean more towards the funny route. I think it would end up being like a really weird, surreal, almost comedy like movie. I don't know. Just the concept of that happening is great. I'd love to see all the different directors uh, that they would get for that. Can you imagine a Wes Anderson Pokemon movie? How fucking quirky that could be. Pokemon was already quirky enough as is. So, yeah, lots of big famous franchises are trying to make their way to the big screen, and we're still trying to figure out what works and what does not work. All I know is, ever since Transformers was turned into a movie, and then they ended up turning Battleship into a movie, it was like, we have free reign to do whatever the hell we want. If they can turn board games into movie, we can do anything. I mean, hell, we had the Lego movie which came out like a couple years ago, which was surprisingly decent. There's the Lego Batman movie, which is coming out, which I think looked even better than Batman vs. Superman. That was my favorite part of watching Batman vs. Superman, was seeing that awesome trailer with Will Arnett just doing that amazing portrayal of the Dark Knight in the most funniest way possible. I can't wait to see that one. But uh, we're going to end the show this week um, by talking about something that is very near and dear to my heart, and that is a classic Nintendo series, Star Fox. Star Fox is getting ready to return with a brand new game that is coming out this Friday on April 22nd, 2016, Star Fox Zero. This is a game that I honestly am losing sleep over. Like, I'm having dreams about playing this game, and it's tough nowadays to be a Star Fox fan because... I grew up with the series. That's why I'm such a big fan of it. Um, a, a lot of the younger players nowadays don't really know the impact that the Star Fox video game series has ever had. If you've never played Star Fox, it's basically this on-rails flying shooter game uh, which the ships, which are like in the future and in space and everything, are piloted by anthropomorphic animals. You know, there's Fox, who's obviously a fox. There is a uh, Falco the bird. There's Peppy the the rabbit, and then there is a uh, Slippy, who everyone hates for some reason. Slippy the frog. 
And when you can accept how ridiculous it is and just accept the fact that it is just a fun arcade type of shooter, it ends up being a really fun game. And when I played it for the very first time in 1993 on my Super Nintendo, like, I'd never seen anything like that on a home console before. I'd never thought that they could put, like, actual 3D graphics on a Super Nintendo, and they completely pulled it off, and it was a really great and engrossing game, and then after that, it just sort of disappeared for a while, and then finally in 1997, Star Fox 64 was released, which is, until I play the new game, currently is still my favorite Star Fox game, um, and I think that's probably the case for most people. This was the game that sort of firmly established what was so good about the series, which is its fun arcade gameplay and its amazingly quirky characters who have some amazing dialogue. Star Fox 64 is also noteworthy for being, I believe, the very first home console video game to have a rumble feature. Like, the very first runs of Star Fox 64 actually came with what is called a rumble pack, which is something that you would have to plug into the back of your N64 controller with batteries, which would simulate the feeling of actually being, like, in a spaceship or in a tank or something. When you get hit, the controller would start to shake like crazy, and it really immersed you in the game, unlike any way that you've ever played before. So it was very revolutionary in that aspect. And then after Star Fox 64, everything kind of just went downhill. There was a few other games that were released in the early 2000s, such as Star Fox Adventures on the GameCube, which in its own right, is a good action-adventure game, just not a very good Star Fox game. It's basically this planned N64 game, which was called Dinosaur Planet, which was then reskinned into a Star Fox game. So in many ways, it doesn't really count, but it did have a big effect on the series as it introduced some other key characters who would appear in the sequels, like Crystal, who is a brand new member of Star Fox, as well as Fox's love interest, in the games. And then there was Star Fox Assault on GameCube, which was the last one which was released, which was more of a return to form, more action, more getting in vehicles, which I really did actually enjoy the game for what it was. Was it better than Star Fox 64? Hell no, not by a long shot. But I really enjoyed playing the game, and I got a lot of mileage out of it, and I still even own the game. And then there was Star Fox Command on the DS, which in many ways is the Star Fox game that I think we've always wanted, but it just, it came at sort of like a weird time, and I feel like this is the type of game that probably should have come out on the Nintendo 3DS, mostly with how you actually control the game, you actually have to use your stylus to move the ship around, and anytime you have to use like stylus controls, or motion controls on like any sort of game, I'm immediately sort of like turned off by that, and of course that's why I'm a little apprehensive about this new Star Fox game as well, because it uses a lot of motion and gyro control with the Wii U gamepad. The game is called Star Fox Zero, and at the end of the day, it's basically a remake-slash-reboot of Star Fox 64, and Star Fox 64 was already a reboot-slash-remake of the original Star Fox on SNES, so the best games from the series currently are all the same game. It's all the same story, which is just Team Star Fox fighting against Andros, who is this giant monkey head in space. If you don't know what I'm talking about, that has got to sound weird. And you have to take down him and his entire army going through all of these crazy missions when you're flying around in this spaceship, blowing the crap out of everything. It's real simple, but it's very fun. And there's always a lot of little secrets in the game. And Star Fox Zero finally comes out this Friday. I've already got my copy pre-ordered. I'm getting off of work a little early on Friday just so that I can go home and play the game like all night long. So freaking pumped for this. And the other reason I'm really excited for Star Fox Zero is not just because, whoa, we got a brand new Star Fox game, 
But we also have this really cool anime short, which is going to be coming out uh, tomorrow on Wednesday, which is going to be called Star Fox Zero The Battle Begins. And it's going to be this anime short, which I don't know how long it's going to be. I expect maybe about 10 minutes of material. But it's going to be produced by Wit Studios. And these guys have worked on some pretty big anime before. You might have heard of some of them, like Attack on Titan and the currently airing Cabinary of the Iron Fortress. I've reviewed Attack on Titan. I'm currently reviewing Cabinary of the Iron Fortress. Make sure to check that out on our Super Kami Guru 9000 anime review channel on YouTube. It's a pretty good series so far. I've only seen the first episode because that's all that's available to me right now, but the second episode is going to be coming out this week, so I can't wait to see what they're going to do with that. But this brand new anime short for Star Fox looks pretty damn awesome. Um, I know a lot of people are going to have some conflictions with it because it's using like a cel-shaded, almost CG-styled animation for the show, but when I think of a Nintendo franchise which could be turned into an anime series... Star Fox is, like, nearly at the top of the list. It's probably number one. I mean, it is just tailor-made to be an awesome sci-fi action anime series. The fact that the characters are anthropomorphic animals as well just really lends itself well to anime because they can be really expressive because they're anthropomorphic animals, but they don't look super realistic. Like, they, they have a little bit of, like, a stylized anime cartoon design to them so a lot of like the anime tropes and things like that can be really well applied to these characters and I just think they could have a lot of fun with this you know they don't even need to adapt to the games whatsoever like I really feel like they could just create their very own stories with these characters set within this universe and make it just a really fun dramatic funny action-packed anime series and the preview for this uh, brand new anime short looks like it's going to be a lot of fun my theory is that it's basically just going to be an anime adaptation of the very first level of Star Fox Zero like you're gonna see them uh, from beginning to end going to the planet Corneria fighting against some enemies going up against a big boss maybe seeing Andros and that's going to be the very end of the episode which, at the end of the day, the whole point of this anime short is to get people to buy Star Fox. That's all it's really supposed to do at the end of the day. But it's also given me a lot of hope, because we've been seeing a lot more anime-type stuff from Nintendo lately. Um, one of the big trailers they had for Super Smash Bros. Wii U and 3DS, when they introduced the character of Palutena, where you had uh, Pit fighting against Link. Like, that was all done in an anime style, and I remember when that came out for the very first time, everybody was like, we have got to have a Super Smash Bros. anime series. And I agree, I think that would be really fun as well, if only just to see the, the action scenes. I just think it would be really awesome. They could do so much more in an anime than they do in the actual game. And then you got Star Fox here, who is finally returning, and it just looks like it would apply itself so well to a series, especially because the characters themselves are so fun. Fox being the fearless leader, Peppy being the old advisor, Falco being the cocky badass, and Slippy being Slippy, which is, you know, he constantly needs help. But I like Slippy. Everybody seems to have a problem with Slippy. I've had no problem with the character. Um, you know, I mean, he, he's basically the comic relief. You're always having to save his ass, but a lot of people just really loathe that character, but I just have no hatred for him. I love all of the characters from Star Fox, you know, even the side characters who barely appear at all. General Pepper, the freaking the hound dog who gives you all of the missions, that guy is freaking awesome. All the members of Star Wolf are so freaking great, and they have such memorable, like, dialogue from the old games, which I know a lot of that is going to be repurposed 
uh, for the brand new game. So I can't wait to see if there's going to be any brand new dialogue, which is going to be very meme-worthy. I mean, Star Fox is one of those games, like, the dialogue is just so classic. Sorry to Jet, I'm in a hurry. Can't let you do that, Star Fox. Like, all of those lines are so classic to me. And it's amazing how well that that game and formula has held up so long that they can sort of, like, take it and repurpose it again for a brand new Wii U game, but it's been a long time coming. It has been years since we've had a home console release of Star Fox, and it's finally coming here, and if you're a fan of Nintendo games and Star Fox, pick the game up immediately when it's released. Let Nintendo know we want more Star Fox in the future. We don't want these games to come out like every decade. We want a game every couple of years. This is one of the flagship series from Nintendo, and it deserves so much more recognition for incredibly how unique it is, and the fact that it's just fun as shit. The only problem is Star Fox Zero's multiplayer looks like it is going to suck balls. It looks like it's not going to be all that exciting. They're doing something completely new with the multiplayer in this game, calling it Star Fox Guard, which I don't even really know what it is. I just know that it's going to involve using the gamepad a lot, and robots, and mazes. It's not going to be like traditional Star Fox multiplayer where you're getting in the ship or you're going on foot using tanks and stuff and just blowing the crap out of each other. No, this is going to be something completely different uh, for the game. Not only that, but the game is also going to make use of amiibos, which I think is also really awesome because I do happen to have the Fox and Falco amiibos. I'm not a super huge amiibo collector. I just collect the ones that I really like. Like, I don't want every single one, but since I'm such a huge Star Fox fan, I definitely got the Fox and Falco Amiibos. Uh, you scan the Fox one into the game, and you can play as the original polygon-looking uh, R-Wing from the original SNES game. It even has all of the same sound effects, and will even change uh, some of the sound effects of the level. Like, if you play in Corneria with that classic ship, you're actually going to hear the theme from the original Corneria level from SNES. And then if you scan the Falco Amiibo, the game is basically going to give you like a brand new hard mode where it'll turn the R-Wing into this like black and red version of it, which looks oh so badass. So for all those Star Fox veterans out there who need their game to be a little bit more difficult, all you got to do is scan that Falco Amiibo and it's there. But uh, even if you don't have those Amiibo, like it's really not going to change anything. It's mostly just an aesthetic and a, uh, a difficulty boost. Um, really the game itself is uh, going to be entertaining enough on its own. And like I said, if you're even just a casual Star Fox fan, pick up the game. Let Nintendo know we want more of these classic franchises. I want more Star Fox, and I cannot wait to see what this uh, Star Fox Zero The Battle Begins anime series is going to be like. I say series, but like I said, it is going to be a short uh, I am going to release a review for that on our Super Kami Guru 9000 YouTube page, so make sure to look for that when it is released. So, guys, there it is. That is my show for today. Basically, just a, a big rant for me, just talking about some of the things that are going on. I know it's a little weirder not actually having, like, an actual co-host here. You gotta imagine how strange it is for me. This is very difficult to talk to oneself for this long. But, uh, thank you again for uh, tuning in. Make sure to give us your topic ideas. If you guys have any questions that you want to ask me or Christian, anything personal, uh, please do. I, I would love to answer those questions uh, for you guys. One that I've been getting a lot from a lot of people, uh, and this mostly pertains to something that's going on on our Super Kami Guru 9000 uh, YouTube page, is uh, people really want, wanted me to review the, uh, the Gintama anime series. I've gotten so many messages about that one. And... The fact of the matter is, I just do not have the time to watch that much anime right now. Like, uh, I had barely any time today 
to record this podcast. Like, I had to, like, cut out some time just to make this happen. And, um, you know, usually if I get home at night, I barely have any time to watch anything. And uh, if I do have that extra time, uh, I usually make it so I can sleep. Because sleep is so precious. The older you get, you have no idea. Um, But the Gintama anime series, from what I've seen, has been pretty damn good. Um, It's really funny. And at first I thought it was strictly just a comedy series. But when it finally does get to like some serious action, it just pours it on. So I can't promise you that I'm going to be reviewing all of the Gintama anime series. I might make some topics about it later in the future. But uh, as it stands, I just simply do not have the time to fit that massive series into my schedule because I'm already watching so many other anime and I barely have time for those as well. But like I said, please leave us your topic ideas and what you guys would like us to discuss as we go into the second year of our podcast next week christian will be returning and we will also have a special guest on the show make sure to stay tuned for that his name is patrick duffy and no he is not the actor patrick duffy uh but he's a really great friend of ours and in many ways he's who makes this show possible and uh before i wrap up the show um and uh just cancel it out for the day i just wanted to take a moment thank our network rogue intel Rogue Intel is amazing because they allow us to be ourselves. They allow us to do this show and talk about anything that we want. So make sure to check out all of the other shows at rogueintel.com. And if you want to help keep the network going, make sure to head over to rogueintel.com slash Amazon for all of your shopping needs. It's going to help support the network, and it's not going to cost you anything extra. So if you're just shopping on Amazon for absolutely anything, make sure to use that link. It's going to help keep these shows running. And like I said, there's a lot of really great brand new shows which are uh, on the Rogue Intel network. There's so much diversity. I mean, we're the powerful nerdcast. We talk about a lot of comic books and video games and everything. One of the brand new shows that you guys absolutely have to check out is called The Theory of Chance, which is a brand new sports-themed show on Rogue Intel Network. It's hosted by Chance Collins. It's really damn great, and it adds a lot more variety to the Rogue Intel Network. Another one that I've really been enjoying is a show called Unquote, which is literally based around movie quotes, and it's surprisingly informative what you can get from these episodes like it basically is sort of like a discussion about some of the most famous movies in pop culture and why their quotes have been so remembered why people continue to use them there's all types of amazing shows on rogue intel so make sure to check those out so guys that is the end of today's show thank you for joining me and hearing my ramblings for like the last 40 or so minutes i'm not even really keeping track of time what i will say is i really appreciate your viewership thank you for tuning in remember if you guys want to uh download this show at itunes or at rogue intel there will be links for that in the description box below and they are completely free so that way you can take the show with you wherever you go you can listen to me in the car you can put earphones at night so I can whisper sweet nothings to you as you fall asleep. That sounds really creepy, but I assure you, it's pretty freaking awesome. So thank you guys for joining me for another episode of the Powerful Nerdcast. I will see you next time.